One of the things I think is really important for all of us to be able to do is to figure out when we see a headline, when we start seeing something enter the discussion and get repeated over and over again, and it's a major claim, we need to be able to figure out for ourselves, is it backed by evidence or is this disinformation or misinformation? And we have the perfect example today. There's a new <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use some of the words they're using, even though they're BS, quite frankly. There's a new quote study about covid vaccines from, quote, Florida floating around, which I started seeing over the weekend during my live streams. I saw some of the people in the chat saying, David, new study from Florida says that covid vaccines increase heart attacks by 84 percent in the month after one is vaccinated. When you get a vaccine, your odds of a heart attack go up 84 percent for the month after you've received that vaccine. So the first question with all of these things is, does it pass the sniff test? So with some of these things, you know, uh, it turns out we don't breathe oxygen. We actually breathe um, really light water. You know, so I, I don't know. We would say this doesn't even pass the sniff test. It's not really even worth looking into. Now, let's imagine it were true that getting a covid vaccine increases your chances of a heart attack by 84 percent. We would be talking about so many heart attacks, heart attacks and deaths that we would have heard about this more uh, more quickly than two years into vaccination. But let's imagine that we want to take this seriously and explore it. The source of this is Florida's Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo, a known anti-vaccine voice. And Ars Technica has a really good write up about the so-called analysis. And he put out a statement on Friday that men age 18 to 39 should not get the covid vaccine. Why not? Well, he claims to have an analysis called exploring the relationship between all cause and cardiac related mortality following covid-19 vaccination or infection in Florida residents, a self-controlled case series study. There is then a press release about the analysis. So now we're like a layer removed. Now it's a press release about an analysis. The press release says covid vaccines cause an 84 percent increase in the relative incidence of cardiac related death among males 18 to 39 within 28 days following mRNA vaccination. There's a lot of important data in that claim or important metrics in that claim, which we are going to look at. So let's take a look at the analysis. One of the things you might notice when you pull up the analysis is it's supposedly from the Florida Department of Health, but it's not on Florida Department of Health letterhead. That's sort of weird for an analysis, supposedly from the Florida Department of Health. There is no authors listed on the study. Well, that's really weird. And of course, it's not peer reviewed. Obviously, I mean, is that there's not even a claim that it is or that it's in any journal or that that it's been reviewed in any way. So what is the analysis that has been done? Well, the first thing is they did what's called a self-controlled case series. We're going to talk about what that is. How should we look at vaccine safety? You would want to take a group of vaccinated people and a group of not vaccinated people 
maybe they get a placebo, the non-vaccinated people. So no one even knows whether they are or aren't vaccinated. You match them up demographically so that in both of these groups, you have similar underlying health statuses, other parameters, age, et cetera. And you compare them over a period of time, which of the groups over a period of time, the um, uh, vaccinated or unvaccinated group has more infections or more cancer or more car accidents, whatever. And the idea is you want to make vaccination the only variable. One group has the vaccine, the other doesn't, and they are otherwise identical groups. In a self-controlled case series, which is what was done, there's no control group. The only people in their study um, are the people that um, are being studied and whose outcomes are being measured. There's no control group. It's, uh, you know, you got a covid vaccine, died within 25 weeks. And then they look subsequently at the group that died within the first four weeks. And what they wanted to see was, are the deaths clustered in the first four weeks after the vaccination, which is considered the risk period for a vaccine during which a side effect or a complication could happen. And so they they look at the first four weeks and then they call weeks five to twenty five the control group. That doesn't make sense. That's not good science. And I'm getting so wound up that I punched my microphone. Now, what they also did was they excluded people from the study who had covid died of covid and they excluded people with boosters. Why would you do that? Wait a second. You want to study something related to covid and the vaccine. You have no control group and you exclude people from the study who had covid died of covid or had a booster, meaning they went beyond their first two dose regimen. Well, that's nonsense. That doesn't make sense. They also don't actually have any medical information for cause of death. They only have death certificates. And as we know, death certificates through no deliberate attempt at fraud don't always represent the heart of the matter, for lack of a better term, about how someone died. Sometimes you die because of a complication from covid. That complication goes on the birth certificate, but not the fact that you had covid and the reason you were in the hospital was covid. And then a complication came up just as one example. They don't know how many people died of undocumented covid cases after one dose of the vaccine, for example, where one dose of the vaccine is not considered that you are protected. That's not actually a full regimen. Even the cardiac related causes of death might not be. The analysis says in it, quote, cardiac related deaths were ascertained if a code of I three one fifty two was on the death certificate. Thus, the underlying cause of death may not be cardiac related. They're even saying some of these cardiac related deaths might not really be cardiac related. They also didn't separate out people with mRNA vaccines and non mRNA in a clean cut way. They claim to be studying the effects of mRNA vaccines. Remember, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is not an mRNA vaccine. They have two classifications. They have people with an mRNA vaccine and people with a non mRNA or unknown type of vaccine. You could have obvious misclassification when those are your categories. And it also only looked at men 18 to 39. Now, there's two important things about that. First of all, they combined 18 to 24 and 25 to 39. Why would they do that when the underlying data separates those into two groups, 18 to 24, 25 to 39? Why would you combine them? Well, 
They don't say. And of course, the speculation is that by combining those two groups, you get them the finding that they wanted. This is a version of what's called the P hacking, Google P hacking. And, and you'll very quickly learn what that is. Last thing, the number of deaths in the specific group they studied was 20 during the first four weeks and then 52 in the so-called control period, five to 25 weeks. And the sample sizes are so small and it's not really a control group that the data are essentially meaningless. So don't fall for it. Joseph Ladapo should be more concerned with disease outbreak in Florida following the hurricane and power outages, which is a real issue after a natural disaster uh, than putting together these bogus so-called analyses, messing with the data, no control group, wrong type of study on and on and on. So when you see the headline now, vaccines cause 84 percent increase in cardiac uh, death, you now are equipped to understand that the so-called analysis is completely bogus. We got some very interesting news yesterday about the American relationship with Saudi Arabia. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you've been watching the show for a while, you know that I have been saying for what, a decade and a half, the United States really needs to reevaluate its relationship with Saudi Arabia. Now, we understand why the relationship exists. There is a sort of general shared interest in calm in the Middle East between the United States and Saudi Arabia. And this relates to oil prices and oil production and for other reasons. And that has been a major factor in the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. Uh, cut to The New York Times yesterday. Joe Biden vows consequences for Saudi Arabia after oil production cut. The article reads, angered by the kingdom's decision to team up with Russia, President Biden signaled openness to retaliatory measures including a halt to arms sales and allowing price fixing lawsuits. This is a very good article in The Times by Peter Baker, and it reads that Biden vowed yesterday to impose consequences on Saudi Arabia, signaling a rupture in the relationship between two longtime allies and a reversal of Biden's own effort to cultivate the energy rich kingdom. This all relates to last week's decision by Saudi led OPEC uh, OPEC plus a Biden staff announced he would, quote, reevaluate the entire relationship with Saudi Arabia and expressed openness to retaliatory measures offered by congressional Dems, such as curbing arms sales or permitting legal action against the cartel. This is as much about the direct relationship with Saudi Arabia as it is about the Russian war in Ukraine. And we have to see whether these are empty, empty words or not. Are these empty threats? Are these just vague promises that will never become anything? Or is this something real? Again, I did not have particularly high hopes for Joe Biden when I decided I would support him over Donald Trump. He was the obviously correct decision over Donald Trump for any sane person, even remotely tethered to reality. But my expectations were quite muted about Joe Biden. And despite a period of about three or four months five or six months, maybe even during which very little that I could point to and say this is a good thing has happened. Joe Biden's presidency has really uh, sort of taken a turn for the better. And it would be another great thing from my perspective if Joe Biden were to reevaluate this uh, relationship. Consider the reality of Saudi Arabia. I mean, first of all, 
funded 9-11. Most hijackers were Saudi killed and dismembered Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. There has been essentially no accountability. War in Yemen with massive human rights abuses, by the way, I mean, with some American support, the United States hands are not exactly clean of blood there either. Um, important to measure uh, to, to mention state sponsored theocratic misogyny and depression, although it has improved slightly over the last 10 years, uh, economically supporting Russia in their war in Ukraine. This has been an alliance for oil purposes and for general interest and stability in the Middle East purposes. And in particular, with the United States, I mean, listen, is it as fast a move away from fossil fuels as I would like? No, not nearly. But in particular, with the growing priority of the United States under Joe Biden, much more so than under Donald Trump, of furthering alternative and renewable energy usage and getting away from fossil fuels. There is less of a need, in a sense, to be cozy with what is a very backwards dictatorial state. So if we were able to detach ourselves from the I guess we'll call it the teat of Saudi oil, it's a good thing long term. Now, the truth is that the global situation is much more complicated than I'm making it out to be in this segment. There are many other considerations. There are all sorts of triangles in which you have the United States and Saudi Arabia and some other country, which are important considerations as well from a foreign policy standpoint. But it would be one of the greatest things Joe Biden could do to cool that relationship off. It's been something I've been calling for for a very long time. Now, in the short term, the problem is that this action by Saudi Arabia will cause uh, energy prices to go up. And if Joe Biden did indeed take some substantive substantive step to cool that relationship and to reevaluate, it will probably cause energy prices to go up even more. And we're getting into uh, winter where home energy prices are an important thing. The increase in, in energy prices will almost certainly be used against Joe Biden in 2024. Republicans will be able to say, listen, Biden chose to do this with Saudi Arabia. And this made everybody's home energy costs more and gas price. All the, there, there's no doubt that Republicans will try to do that. It's easy to say, well, it's worth it anyway. Well, for some people, it's an extraordinarily difficult situation to have an increase in gas prices or uh, home energy prices, home heating prices, et cetera. That will be in effect and it will be they will try to use it against Joe Biden. At some point, the decision has to be made to back away from this absolutely horrifying relationship with Saudi Arabia. And I always say there's no better time than the present. If you disagree with me, let me know. You can find me on Twitter at D Pacman and we'll be back after this very short break. I've uh, seen several people in my life try to quit smoking or vaping and quitting has so many benefits, but it does require a strategy. And our sponsor fume is a one of a kind inhaler that can help you quit smoking as a replacement for the hand to mouth habit of smoking. There is no smoke. There is no vapor and there's no nicotine. Fume is just a small inhaler handcrafted from wood. It uses cores infused with fresh aromatic plant oils for you to taste and enjoy instead of a nasty cigarette or a vape. 
You can use fume while flying, which is a big plus because there's no smoke, no vapor, no nicotine. Fume has flavors like peppermint and conquer with a powerful minty sensation to simulate the menthol cigarettes. They have other flavors like cozy chai. I love chai myself and lemon berry bliss for a sweeter experience. Fume has helped thousands of people quit people who have tried everything else. Read the reviews. We talked to the fume team. They're very proud of the lives that they've impacted. Throw out the cigarettes, get rid of the vapes, head over to breathefume.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman to get 10% off your entire order. That's breathefum.com slash Pacman promo code Pacman saves you 10%. The info is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Blue Chew, a unique online service delivering the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis in a chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. And they're giving my audience an entire month's supply for free. So if you think you could benefit from an extra boost of confidence, all you have to do is take a short quiz on their website. A licensed doctor approves your prescription. The medication comes straight to your home within days in a discreet package. No driving around to the doctor's office or the pharmacy. No waiting around. No awkward conversations with your doctor. All of Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA. The entire process is just a few clicks. Go to bluechew.com. The link is in the podcast notes, and they'll give you an entire month's supply for free when you use promo code PACMAN. That's P-A-K-M-A-N. All you do is pay $5 for shipping. The David Pakman Show is an audience-supported program, different than corporate media. Our primary funding source is people who listen to the show, people who watch the show. And to that end, I would love for you to get a membership at joinpacman.com. We do an extra show every day for our members called The Bonus Show. Alex Jones hates The Bonus Show. Oh, The Bonus Show, where you want to make money, but everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. Well, yeah, make money in order to fund the show, Alex. There's nothing wrong with that. You can use the coupon code BIGVOTING22 to get yourself a tidy little discount off of the cost of membership. You also get the show without commercials 
six hours before everybody else every single weekday. Pretty good perk, I must say. Join Pacman.com. Many of you have been asking the question, what the hell happened to the Republican Party? It can be difficult to notice changes sometimes when those changes happen slowly. Um, let's take a look at how the Republican Party has changed over a longer period of time and then talk about exactly how it happened. I am going to play a clip for you here of William F. Buckley talking with Noam Chomsky in 1969. Now, when you do a progressive show, there is no conservative that you can put up as an example that your your left wing audience, in this case, my left wing audience will agree. Yeah, this is an example of sort of like normal conservatism. We disagree with conservatism. I understand that. Now, I know many of you will say David Buckley's a loser. He was a pompous, condescending clown. Okay, Buckley had a set of principles. He argued them what I would consider by today's standards respectfully. He stood for something. He engaged with people with whom he disagreed. Check this out. This was one flavor of conservatism and the Republican Party in the late 60s, and it lasted into the 70s, into the early 80s. Okay, here's William F. Buckley talking with Noam Chomsky. Quite so. Uh, But you you also say that you hate yourself for not having come to that position uh, earlier. Yeah, I do. Uh, I think that was uh, a very great, great mistake. Well, I hope to give you a little solace uh, (laughs) in the course of the evening. But uh, the the reason I do raise this, and and I, I rejoice in your disposition, to argue the Vietnam question, especially when I recognize what an act of self-control this must uh, involve. It does. Sure. It really does. I mean, I think and that this is the kind well. of issue where well. you know, sometimes I lose my temper. Maybe not tonight. Maybe not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because if you would, I'd smash you in the goddamn face. You say in your book... reason for not losing my <laughs> You say the war is simply an obscenity, a depraved act by weak and miserable men, including all of us, including myself, well, including then, every. That's the next sentence. Same yeah. sentence. Yeah. Sure, 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 yeah. sure. Because you count everybody in the company of the guilty. I think that's true in this uh, case. Yeah, but see, the, one of the points I was this trying. This is a sense of theological. Okay, so anyway, th- these are really interesting debates and conversations. That was like what the Republican Party. One part of it, right? We can find wacky examples as well. But you could talk to these people, okay? These, these they operated in something that approached reality. Here are some examples of the modern Republican Party. Not only do we have the D.C. jail, which is the D.C. gulag, but now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police spying on members of Congress, spying on the legislative work that we do. Gazpacho police. That's Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here is another example of the modern Republican Party about Ted Cruz lately in the news. And contrary to popular belief, I have never been an escort for Senator Ted Cruz. Mm. But I will tell you tonight, it is the coolest thing I've ever heard about Ted Cruz. There you go. That's a radical Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. And then, of course, the modern Republican Party. Numerous categories uh, were lower than the world. Lower than the world. Lower than (laughs) Europe. In what? In what? Take a look. Right here. Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, well, much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't. You can't do that. You have to go. You have to go by 
You have to go by where, look, here is the United States. You have to go by the cases. The cases Why are not there. as a proportional when population? We have somebody, what it says is when you have somebody that yeah. has, where there's a case, oh, okay. the people that live sure. from oh. those cases. All right. That's a major contrast. Okay. Point, I think point made. Now you could say, well, but you know, the modern Republican party also has people like Mitt Romney in it. Uh, yeah. How much attention do they get? They have been pushed to the fringes. So how did this happen? And this is the story that I've told before. In fact, when, when I interviewed Noam Chomsky, we talked about this story, whatever you think about Noam Chomsky, I'm just saying there's a discussion about this story in that interview. And the path is more or less as follows from the William F. Buckley clip to what I just played for you from from uh, the, the orange menace, the civil rights era set off a period of extreme uh, instability in the American right, where many in the American right did not like what the civil rights era brought. When they talk about their worldview, we say it sort of sounds like they want to go back to the 1950s. That's exactly right. Before the civil rights era, which started, you know, you could argue 58 or different people would put it at a different point that and the attempt to level the playing field in many ways started to anger much of the right where not William F. Buckley, but others started to get away from what we might now called that principled conservatism of uh, of a certain point Uh, through the Vietnam War. And into the Reagan era, we saw this shift into what we might call more kind of like meme politics from the right. Uh, Actor Ronald Reagan comes up with stuff like, you know, the Cadillac driving welfare mom and and starting to make these caricatures of people hanging out, living richly on welfare and on and on. Although Reagan was still sort of reasonable compared to the modern Republican Party on something like immigration. But that was just one step. We then go from Reagan and I'm condensing the story to Bill Clinton knocking out one term, making George H.W. Bush a one term president, which in 1992 significantly angered many in the Republican Party to then Newt Gingrich becoming Speaker of the House in 1994 in the 1994 midterms. That was the next escalation. It's not even really an escalation. It's like if you have. Rhetoric on one side and policy on the other, it continued the shift of the Republican Party from policy to rhetoric. Newt Gingrich in 1994 starting to develop the more cartoonish social conservative, starting to get a little bit more detached from policy. Then when you had the Clinton Lewinsky scandal, it escalated what we could probably call Clinton derangement syndrome, Kenneth Starr's investigation, et cetera. And then it set the stage for the first what I would call the modern kind of like dumb Republican George W. Bush. Now, George W. Bush, I'm sure personally he's a nice guy. And in some of the he he has been more thoughtful in some of the statements he's made publicly since leaving office, particularly over the last five to six years. But George W. Bush, with his made up words and confusion about foreign policy and all these things, ushered in the first kind of like, you know. Light intellectually lightweight uh, in the more modern way movement in the Republican Party. 
Then Barack Obama won and it just unleashed and even you, you took the Bush contingent or constituency and added some overt racism. And that was the next escalation. And then, of course, then ultimately we got to Trump. That's the path. That's the 40, 50 year path. And it's really important to understand it when we think about how we got from William F. Buckley to Donald Trump, right? The guy who's staring at a solar eclipse and saying, what about injecting bleach? It's a sad decline and it's unclear where the Republican Party goes next, but it's good to know how we got here. Let's now talk about the possible outcomes to the 2022 midterm election. There are four possible outcomes to the midterms that are now just a few weeks away. Three of the outcomes are really pretty bad. So let's explore what these outcomes are. We have control of the House up for grabs and control of the Senate up for grabs. If we look at the latest 538 forecasts, uh, Democrats are by a roughly two to one margin favored to win the Senate. Okay, roughly by a two to one margin favored to win in the Senate. And if you look at the House, Republicans are by a greater than two to one margin favored to win the House. So if we want to put numbers to this, there's a roughly 70 percent chance that Republicans win the House and a roughly 67 percent chance that Democrats win the Senate. So you essentially have four possible outcomes. Imagine a two by two grid. Democrats could win both the House and Senate. Republicans could win both the House and Senate. You could have Democrats win the House, but lose the Senate. You could have Democrats win the Senate, but lose the House. Those are the four scenarios. So let's do some simple probability math. These should add up to 100 percent. These are the four possible outcomes. And we're going to do these in order of likelihood. And then you have the following based on the 538 projections. The, the most likely outcome is Democrats win the Senate and Republicans win the House. That's 46 percent. You've got a 24 percent chance that the Republicans win both. You've got a 20 percent chance that Democrats win both. And then you've got a 10 percent chance that Democrats win the House, but Republicans win the Senate. That's the least likely outcome. So let's start with the least likely and work up. If Democrats win the House and Republicans win the Senate, it's not going to happen. But it would mean that Democrats pass a ton of stuff in the House that Joe Biden wants. And basically none of it gets past the Senate. It's a done deal. It's really good for Republicans in 2024. They can say, look, um, they had the House and the White House. They proposed nothing reasonable. The Senate had to block the stuff they wanted to do. Vote for Republicans in 2024. OK, next scenario is that Democrats win both. This is the best outcome, quite frankly. There's only a 20 percent chance of that. Now, in this scenario, the Senate margin is not 60, 40 meaning that it remains like the last two years. A lot of stuff you need 60 votes in order to pass. So Democrats, if they held both the House and Senate, would be able to get some things done. Republicans would obstruct in the Senate for everything that requires 60 votes. They would claim these Democrats are so extreme in what they propose. We have no choice. Next scenario in order of likelihood going up is Republicans take the House and the Senate. Now, that's also not the most likely scenario. It's obviously disastrous. Nothing will get done for two years if Republicans take both. They will try to blame Biden, even though it is their obstruction that will prevent anything from getting done. They will say we had no choice. Everything Biden and the Democrats put forward was so extreme that we had to block it. It will give them a good setup for 2024, including to actually try to influence the election itself 
by all sorts of subterfuge and arguably illegal means. The most likely outcome, a plurality, is that Democrats win the Senate and Republicans win the House. There's a nearly 50 percent chance of that particular individual result. In that scenario, Republicans will stop things in the House. Democrats will control the Senate, but will have no supermajority. And it will mean that almost nothing happens. Biden will be blamed. Democrats will be blamed. And then Republicans will use it to their advantage in 2024. So what has to happen? Obviously, we should not concede the House, but the math of it is very much not in the favor of Democrats. So the scenario that is the most likely is Democrats keep the Senate by a small margin, but lose the House. What we need to see is some of the gubernatorial races go to the Democratic candidate, because ultimately you are going to have, I believe, very little accomplished during the next two years, thanks to Republicans taking the House. And then you will have a 2024 election, which may come down to governors in key states potentially stealing electoral votes. Pennsylvania is a huge issue where Josh Shapiro has to beat off a challenge from Doug Mastriano, who he will try to steal the Pennsylvania electoral votes for the Republican nominee. We know that. So Josh Shapiro has got to win in Pennsylvania. In Arizona, this radical big lie purveyor, Carrie Lake, is currently winning by a little bit. Arizona is another important state where if you have a Republican governor who is a full big lie proponent, she may try to steal the Arizona electoral votes for the Republican candidate, even if they don't actually win the popular vote in that state. So I believe that the most likely scenario here is Democrats keep the Senate, lose the House, and the next two years will ultimately conclude with do Democrats control enough governor's houses that they can prevent the theft of the 2024 election if the Democratic candidate is to win. It's also possible that the next two years are so disastrous that a Republican president legitimately wins in 2024. We can't deal with that now. What we can deal with is who do we vote for in just three and a half weeks, I think roughly three, two and a half weeks, three and a half weeks. And these are the four scenarios. Let me know your thoughts. We will have this and all of our other clips on our Instagram, which you can find at David Pakman show. Something in your home that you use every day contributes to deforestation and climate change, and that's toilet paper. In the U.S. alone, over 30 million trees each year are required to meet toilet paper demands, contributing to deforestation, soil erosion, devastating loss of biodiversity. Our sponsor, Real Paper, makes sustainable toilet paper that is 100 percent made from bamboo. A bamboo stock keeps growing. It can be harvested forever. It means that the soil and the ecosystem aren't disrupted. No carbon removing trees are cut down. The paper industry has a massive effect on deforestation and climate change. But you alone using bamboo toilet paper can make a positive impact because for the toilet paper that just one American uses in their lifetime, hundreds of trees are required. Put an end to that right now with real paper. The best part is the stuff is really great. It's just normal soft toilet paper. 
Real Paper loves The David Pakman Show. They're giving my audience 30% off your first order and free shipping. When you go to realpaper.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman at checkout, that's R-E-E-L paper.com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman at checkout for 30% off and free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. Plastic is everywhere we look and not enough is being done about it. One hundred billion plastic bags are used and thrown away every year. But you can help make a change. Our sponsor, Hold On, makes trash and kitchen bags that are heavy duty, plant based, non toxic and 100 percent home compostable, which means they break down in weeks rather than decades. They don't fill up our landfills. They don't pollute our oceans. Their zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon bag sizes to fit your needs. And the best part about hold on bags is they work. I use them at home. They're just as good as all of the name brand bags. You fill them up, they stretch and they don't break. Everybody uses trash bags and freezer bags. If you care about the planet, you can do something by using hold on bags instead. And it's a really easy way to do your part to shop plant based bags and replace single use plastics all over your home. Go to holdonbags.com and you'll save 20% with the code Pacman at checkout. The link is in the podcast notes. There have been some uh, outtakes released from this stunning interview that Kanye West did with Fox News propagandist Tucker Carlson that are so insane and so anti-Semitic that they raise a whole new series of questions about Kanye's seeming obsession with the Jews or Jew, as he sometimes refers to them. This is super interesting. So over the last week, there's been a lot happening with um, a musical artist, Kanye West, wherein he showed up in Europe with a White Lives Matter shirt, and then he appeared with Tucker Carlson and talked about how great Trump is. And it was like really a very kind of fawning interview, of course, because Kanye West has become useful to the right. And then he ended up getting suspended from multiple social media platforms for uh, basically just going on an anti-Semitic tirade and attacking Jews and saying, I I think Diddy is controlled by Jews and all this different stuff. Uh, Vice's motherboard, that's the source for these clips, has now uncovered clips from the Tucker Carlson interview that were cut from what was broadcast, and they are absolutely and utterly insane. And we're going to look at a couple of these. And what I want to mention to people is I think my audience mostly knows I'm Jewish. I have had experiences with anti-Semites of every flavor, casual anti-Semites who just unthinkingly have attached themselves to the very easy tropes, you know, oh, Jews are cheap. That's one I dealt with with other employees when I worked at Circuit City. I've recently tweeted about that. There's also the sort of more conspiratorial people about an elitist cabal, Bilderberg, Rothschild, you know, this, this sort of stuff. Then there's also the black Israelites, which we're going to get into in a moment. There's all sorts of these different flavors. And some people are just obsessed with Jews. They look at Jews as the sole cause of everything that is bad uh, on our planet. Okay, let's get into the first clip in. This is an outtake. Okay, Kanye says that the founder of Planned Parenthood uh, created Planned Parenthood with the KKK to control the Jew population. And again, this one. You could say this one is not overtly anti-Semitic, but 
It's all part of the obsession with Jews. Check this out. Let's go to the first one. Planned Parenthood was made by Margaret Sanger, a known eugenics with the KKK to control the Jew population. When I say Jew, I mean the 12 lost tribes of Judah, the blood of Christ, who the race, the people known as the race black really are. This is who our people are. Yeah, this is this is super confusing. So try to follow along the blood of Christ. This as a Christian is my belief. And I believe that if we saw ourselves as more. Yeah. So first of all, Margaret Sanger, early sort of women's rights and family planning advocate uh, was Jewish as far as my research reveals. So the idea that she wanted to control the Jew population. I don't really know what Kanye means. Control it by lowering it or boosting it. I don't know. It, this is all completely bonkers. Now, when Kanye talks about the race black are the real Jews, I know some in my audience already know about this and some don't. There is a movement called the Black Israelites or the Hebrew Israelites. It is a movement that goes back to the late 1800s, where some mostly Pentecostal black Christians started to claim that in a revelation they learned they were the true Hebrews. You can find examples of the term Hebrews, Israelites, the real Jews, whatever. Generally speaking, this is a pretty racist movement in the modern day. They claim that Jews are sort of devilish imposters and that the real Jews are black folks. OK. Um, let's let's leave it there. There was another clip in which Kanye used a weird metaphor and then brings up the Jews again in the metaphor and then asks for it to be cut from the interview, to which you'll notice Tucker Carlson says done. When Kanye says, I want that cut out, Tucker says done. This also is interesting because it exposes that more than likely part of the agreement for this interview was Kanye has sort of like final edit and can ask for anything to be cut. How common that is on Tucker Carlson's show, I don't know. I've never given that to anybody on our program. Exactly what our culture is based on. Think about us judging each other on how white we could talk would be like, you know, a Jewish person judging another Jewish person on how good they danced or something. I mean, what? that's probably like a bad uh, example when people are gonna get mad at that. Shit. But uh, uh, another thing that they do uh, that I probably wanna edit that out in front of that like that. Done. done. Tucker says, D consider it done, Kanye. You're producing here. Okay, so, you know, I was talking to Ice Cube today, and we got really beat up in 2020 for saying we need to approach things a different way and not just be trauma drunk. Right. Which is a term that I, you know, got. Okay. So, again, the example he tries to go to is something about Jews, obsessed with Jews, realizes it's going nowhere, and then asks for it to be cut out. A uh, small note here. Kanye did say during the interview that he's vaccinated. That was cut out from the final cut that aired. I don't think that was Kanye's request. That seems to be a Fox News decision. You know, every day we've been killing each other in the streets. 
every day. One of the amazing things with uh, Mayor Suarez is the, the murder rate has gone down. And yeah, I don't, I mean, you set that question up. You have more information about the, uh, about the, uh, about what happened in the hospitals. So in all honesty, I don't, I don't have the, mo the, the most facts, that, as many facts. No, I mean, have. in your life, like so the, I might have the deflected. COVID vaccine, the being stuck inside, like, what did you think of all that? I was, I was vaccinated. It was interesting. A friend of mine told So I was vaccinated, was removed from the final cut. And then lastly here, just again, the continued obsession with Jewish people. And in this one, he does the um, uh, sort of sort of like money trope where he says he would rather his kids know about Hanukkah rather than Kwanzaa because it'll come with some financial engineering. And again, this is the, the idea that Jews control the financial system. And this is one of the oldest anti-Semitic claims around. And, and Kanye is full in on it. Listen to the Listen to how casually he mentions this, too biting my tongue on my political opinion because I thought it would be better for my children. And now you look up and my kids are going to a school that teaches black kids a complicated Kwanzaa. I prefer my kids knew Hanukkah than Kwanzaa. At least it will come with some financial engineering. <laughs> Kwanzaa doesn't, you know. <laughs> So um, and by the way, I could tell you at Hanukkah, nobody talks to you about IRAs or compounding interest. It's just not it's not where I ever learned about that stuff. He's obsessed with Jewish people. And I have seen people like this. There are folks who get fixated on particular things. And sometimes it's, you know, the hammer that turns everything into a nail for them is Jews. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, the trilateral commission Sometimes it's geoengineering or control through fluoride in the water system or whatever the case may be. Fox News has sort of backed off with a number of segments in the last 24 hours saying the interview, the White Lives Matter thing is interesting, but all the tweet, the anti-Semitic tweets, that's too far. Maria Bartiromo, for example, and others. And they're chalking this up to mental illness. And again, sure, mental illness can be a factor, but most mentally ill people don't become obsessed with the Jews, really bonkers stuff from Kanye. And I find it all to be completely horrible. Hey, here's something kind of I, I don't know that that it's funny, but it's certainly interesting. Somehow, uh, Georgia Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker managed to do another press event. And at this event, he was joined by Republican senators Tom Cotton and Rick Scott, two horrible people. Walker did his normal routine where he tells unintelligible stories in an incoherent way. And you can visibly see Cotton and uh, Scott cringing where they clearly seem to be thinking, what the hell am I doing here? I don't know who thinks these events are good ideas. Here is Herschel Walker railing against pronouns. Um, I'm going to take a position against adverbs if I ever run for something. But Walker focused on pronouns and just Look at the looks on Cotton and Scott's faces trying to act as though this is normal when they clearly know it is not. Hey, just think about it. Pronoun in our military. How do you identify in our military? This is war times. What happened to push-ups? <laughs> Sit-ups. Because I can tell you right now, China, Iran, and Russia not talking about pronoun. Right. Tom Cotton looking particularly pained as this is going on. 
Here is another one of Herschel Walker's great stories about a bear and a dog and something about how he's responding to the abortion scandal. They'll do whatever it takes, what say whatever they have to say because they want this seat right here. But I don't think they know that they woke up a bear. Right. <laughs> hey, I'm not just a dog now, I'm a bear. Yeah. And I got a couple email from some of our viewers in the LGBT community saying, does he understand what bears are in the LGBT community? I'm sure he doesn't. Uh, and then last clip here, Herschel Walker again tries telling the story about the bulls and the cows in the field. Every time he tells the story, the story is different. And again, here, Rick Scott looking particularly demoralized at having to stand up there. As they've been saying, something is better somewhere else. And I'm here to tell you it's not. So I've been telling this little story about this bull out in the field with six cows. Right. And three of them are pregnant. So you know he got something going on. But all he cared about is kept his nose against the fence, looking at three other cows that had been blown to him. Now all he had to do is eat grass. But no, no, no. He thought something was better somewhere else. So he decided, I want to get over there. Mm. So one day he measured that fence up. And he said, I think I can jump this. So that day came where he got back. And he got back, and as he took off running, he dove over that fence, and his belly got cut up on the bottom. But as he made it over on the other side, he shook it off and got so excited about it. And he ran to the top of that hill, but when he got up there, he realized they were bulls too. So what I'm telling you, don't think something is better somewhere. I think that maybe this is a version of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush or the grass isn't really greener on the other side or something like that. So, of course, as I've been telling you, we are very closely monitoring the polling data and it is still quite tight. We have a couple of new polls, uh, Walker versus Warnock. Raphael Warnock is now winning by an average of three point three. There is a new Trafalgar poll that basically has this even with Warnock plus one as insane as it is. This guy should be losing by 50 Walker. He's still in the race. And so it is going to take more to knock this guy out of the race. It will probably go until the last minute on Election Day, but continuing to humiliate himself. And who thinks these press conferences are good ideas? We'll take a quick break and be back after this. Yes, right wing media fell for a Black Lives Matter Antifa hoax. We will talk about it next. The summer is over. Busy season is back in full force. Who has time to meal prep and cook and clean up every single day? I don't. And that's why I turn to Splendid Spoon, our sponsor. Splendid Spoon delivers delicious, ready to eat plant based meals right to my door. I'm not vegan, but I like increasing my plant intake and Splendid Spoon is the perfect way to do it. So many different reasons why an increasingly plant based diet is a great thing. You can choose from over 50 meals from breakfast smoothies and lunch bowls to noodle dinners and light soups. So much variety, vegetables, legumes, healthy fats, whole grains, spices from all over the world. One of my absolute favorites are the green smoothies. So much great stuff in them. Get started today and get one hundred and twenty dollars off your first three boxes at Splendid Spoon dot com slash Pacman. 
That's S P L E N D I D S P O O N dot com slash Pacman for one hundred and twenty dollars off. Click the link in the podcast notes. All right. You may or may not remember the story I'm about to talk about. This incident uh, in question happened in September of 2020. There was an incident where there was BLM Antifa Joe Biden spray painted at a uh, business and all of the right wing media, even though the entire thing stunk to high heaven, came out to talk about how violent the left is and how terrible and, and terroristic Black Lives Matter and Antifa are. And we have now learned from court documents and a release from the District of Minnesota um, District Attorney of Minnesota's office that it was all a hoax. It was all an insurance hoax. So let's start with the new document from the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office from Minnesota. Brooklyn Center man pleads guilty to insurance fraud after staging a politically motivated arson attack. Uh Oh, that's pretty interesting. What happened? Um, according to court documents on September 23rd of 2020, Dennis Mala, 30 years old, falsely reported to law enforcement that someone lit his camper on fire. Oh, it was a camper, not a uh, yeah, not a business uh, lit his camper on fire and that three unknown males were near the home when he heard an explosion. Mala also reported his garage door was vandalized with spray painted graffiti, which said Biden 2020 BLM and an Antifa symbol and that his camper was targeted because it had a Trump 2020 flag on it. The idea was this was a political incident. In reality, Mala started his own property on fire and spray painted the graffiti on his own garage. According to court documents, Mala submitted multiple insurance claims seeking coverage for the damage to his garage, camper, vehicles and residents. When the company denied the claims, he submitted a complaint. Mala also created and allowed others to create multiple GoFundMe accounts to benefit him and his family. He submitted more than three hundred thousand dollars in fraudulent insurance claims, got sixty one K from his insurance company and seventeen thousand from donors via GoFundMe. He has now pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud. Sentencing will happen at a later time. So how did we find out this was a hoax? Well, as it says in the release, it was investigated by the FBI and the Brooklyn Center. Remember, this is Brooklyn, Minnesota, Brooklyn Center Police Department. Let's go back and look at how Ben Shapiro and uh, Laura Ingram talked about this particular incident at the time. There's a story out of Minnesota uh, that began to get some traction today, and it was very disturbing. Mm. Um, and this was a, uh, a homeowners who woke up to find that their garage basically was on fire. Had been Did they really? Burned down. They had a Trump, they had a Trump uh, you know, flag or poster up and had been burned. And then Biden 2020 uh, graffiti and the Antifa symbol uh, and this this is Minnesota nice. There's a message being sent, Ben, uh, by the far left. Right. And I think people are beginning to see that arsonist behavior, looting, even murder, none of it's off the table. Right. Well, the fact is, again, by the way, murder, what are you talking about? Generic statements about violence and looting being bad are not going to cut it. We all know 
that if this were right-wingers who were performing this kind of violence, Joe Biden would be out there on the front lines proclaiming that right-wing ideology was innately linked to violence and cruelty. But as soon as it is left-wingers in his coalition who are out there harassing people at restaurants or burning things down or perhaps shooting police officers, as we saw in Louisville last night, well, then the movement that they are linked to, the broader ideological movement they are linked to, he refuses to condemn. It's one thing to condemn generically violence and looting. I was told, by the way, that when Donald Trump did that back in Charlottesville, that wasn't enough. He had to specifically condemn one specific ideology, which, by the way, he kind of, he absolutely did, actually. Yeah. So it was all a hoax. And the, of course, none of them are following up on it. It was actually an insurance hoax perpetrated by an actual Trumpist, because remember, even though the BLM, Biden, Antifa stuff was fake in the sense that it was done by the homeowner, the homeowner's Trump flag was real. It was really a Trumpist homeowner. Now, does that mean all Trumpists are insurance fraudsters? Of course it doesn't. But look at how the story was leveraged by Ben Shapiro and Laura Ingram to make a broader point. In general, leftists are violent. Antifa is violent. Black Lives Matter is violent. And they are willing to go even further using the fraudulent and fake story of the spray paint to say even murder isn't too much for them. Well, what do you what, what murder? What are you talking about? What on earth are you talking about? The real scary part is that when the, the Fox News audience sees this, they start to believe, well, if the left is so violent against us, then we can be violent against them because it's only fair even though the premise is a fraudulent hoax for which someone has now been convicted. So you'll never get the correction from them, obviously, but at least I'm doing what I can to make sure you know the entire thing. They made a big deal out of it for multiple days back when it happened. The entire thing was a Trumpist hoax. Hey, this is super interesting. Newsmax is talking about Tulsi Gabbard as Trump's running mate for 2024. And I have to tell you, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. So you might remember that yesterday, Tulsi Gabbard uh, on the first episode of her podcast, what what uh, for, fortuitous timing announced that she's leaving the Democratic Party. Now, really, for years, Tulsi had no business being associated with the Democratic Party. She was a, um, a contrarian reactionary with pseudo populist right wing messaging, much more aligned with MAGA world than with any Democrats that I know. She now officially has left the Democratic Party and is becoming an independent. And here is Greg Kelly on Newsmax saying, what about Tulsi as Trump's running mate? Tulsi Gabbard, she quit the Democrat Party today and did it in spectacular fashion. Oh, the former Democrat congresswoman from Hawaii is now in. By the way, we looked at the video by by spectacular fashion. She did it with conspiracy theories about elitist cabals and false claims about what the left believes. Dependent, and I believe could very well be a future running mate for Donald Trump. Whoa. All right. So she quit on the first episode of her new podcast. Take a look. Now, I love our country our God-given rights of freedom, life, and liberty that are enshrined in our Constitution and Bill of Rights are what inspires me. All right, she's just warming up. You realize, though, that statement about the Constitution, a reverence for our Bill of Rights, how this makes her persona non grata in the Democrat Party, this is radical stuff for them. Actually, her completely reactionary conspiratorial statements and false claims about anti-white racism, woke, and an elitist cabal 
are what make her not at home in the Democratic Party. Now, I have to tell you, it makes way more sense that she would be Trump's running mate. I mean, think about it. They're on the same page about, oh, uh, the, the, the left is all about being against faith and against religion and uh, they want to be racist to white people. It makes a ton of sense that she would be Trump's running mate. And that's why we can tell it never really made sense that she was a Democrat. There was this vague idea. Oh, she's against regime change wars. Uh, OK. And that made her what? Special in some way. I mean, most people are against regime change wars when they agree about what the regime change wars are. But there was really nothing else that made her at all interesting to the Democratic Party or as a Democrat. And so I don't think she's actually going to be Trump's running mate, but she would be much more at home there uh, as a MAGA reactionary than she has been in the Democratic Party for a very long time. We got a ton of voicemails yesterday about my interview with my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell. I have to tell you, I struggled with how to conduct that interview because he's so shot out of a cannon and all over the place. And a lot of people criticized my handling of the interview. Here's one caller who thought that I did OK. Hi, David. This is Bonnie from Utah. Yes. And I just wanted to tell you that I really enjoyed your conversation with Mike Pillow. I was actually quite impressed with him. He didn't seem quite as, shall we say, anxious and sweaty as he sometimes does. So maybe he switched to decaf. Who knows? Maybe. I was impressed with your interaction with him and uh, your degree of respect and uh, your ability to reel in the conversation when he sort of <laughs> was trying to jump out of the corral. Yeah. So um, good job. I enjoy uh, your program and uh, I'm a 65 year old liberal progressive broad from Utah. So, yeah, it is a challenge, but keep up the good work, Gabe. You're doing great. Well, I really appreciate that. There were positive comments and negative comments about the interview. Um, there were people who wrote and said I didn't interrupt enough. There were people who wrote and said I interrupted too much, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I do the best I can. And I think it went OK and uh, generating sign. Now, by the way, he did say many things that weren't true. Like, for example, one of the things pillows, obviously, one of the things he said was none of the judges that threw out election challenges threw them out on merits, only on standing. Within minutes of the interview posting, someone emailed me a judge in Wisconsin who threw out a case based on the merits. So it's it can be difficult to have all the information handy as the interview is going on. And that's one of the big challenges. Sam Harris, whatever you think about Sam Harris, accurately describes the difficulty with these interviews where he says someone can you can only be so prepared. They can always find something you're not familiar with. They show up and they make some statement about they set a bunch of small fires and now you have to figure out how to put each fire out and it can be very difficult. And that certainly was a factor yesterday. We've got a great bonus show for you today. Producer Pat is back no longer under the weather. We will talk about new concerns about a PayPal draft leak. We will talk about the Uvalde 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 school district suspending its entire police department. We will talk about the latest on self-driving cars, which I think you will find interesting and much more. Get the bonus show by signing up at joinpacman.com.